So we are in week two of our Devoted series, and last week we talked about the why. If you weren't here, that's okay. You can review it back on our website. Uh, But last week we talked about the why. Why do we even need to be devoted to the Lord? And uh, we talked about how we devote ourselves to God because he first loved us. And it's because of his deep and unconditional and eternal love for us that we devote ourselves to him. You see, he gave us his all through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. So we should also be willing to give our all. And this series is meant to help you devote yourself to the Lord on a deeper level and to grow in your faithfulness and your trust in the Lord. And so we start off this series with a very, very sensitive subject. And even my views on this subject has changed since I've been studying it. I preached on it last year, a similar type of message, but my views have changed since last year as I've div- gone, gone deeper into Scripture. And so we're going to talk about this thing called giving. What is giving in the Bible? And I, I kind of titled this message. I title messages, but I, don't really, I rarely say them, as you know. I, I don't really say them. Today, the, the title is Money Problems, because I, what I want us to realize is that we can devote ourselves to God with our finances, and so I want to look into Scripture and see how Scripture presents this idea of giving financially. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to put our full attention on you as we gather together as a community, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, as we take this time to hear your word, may you fill us with your love and your grace. May we take your word and apply it to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You don't necessarily have to show your hands, but have you ever gotten a bill that comes regularly? Every month you get this bill. Right, I would say most of the, if hopefully, uh, probably all of the adults in here, you get a bill that comes in. You might not take care of it, but someone takes care of it for you. Right, you get this bill that comes regularly. Maybe it's a phone bill, maybe it's a utilities bill. But let's just say, for for the sake of an example, that we're talking about a a phone bill that costs fifty dollars a month. Now, I realize that fifty dollars a month. For some carriers, especially AT&T, it's cheap. <laughs> so we're at, this is just a random number that I picked out. I think I'm getting some from that. There we go. I was hearing feedback in my ear. I don't know if you were hearing it or not. But um, let's just say it's about $50. That's just the first thing that popped in my head when I was writing. I was like, $50. Our phone bill is more than $50. So like, I, I realized that this is a very low phone bill. But just for the sake of an example, let's go with 50 If this bill, you get $50... That you get this bill for $50 every month, and if you don't pay it, then you stop having cell service, which is kind of a necessity here 
in 2022. Now, when you get this phone service bill, does it excite you? Probably not, right? It's not going to excite you to get this phone bill in. Are you filled with joy that you can now, if you pay, if you pay these $50 to the phone company, that you can extend your service for an entire month? No one's filled with joy. Maybe this one. Did you ever look at that bill and say, you know what, I know the bill says $50, but my cell service has been exceptional this month. I'm going to give 60 instead. No, probably not. Why, why is that? Well, it's a bill. It, it's, it's a set amount that you pay. You pay that amount, no more, no less. In fact, if you try to do this, I haven't tried this. I just know this. If you try to send 60, they will send you 10 back, and they say, you overpaid. We don't need any more. Right? So it's this bill. It's this idea. I'm, I'm paying for the service, and then... I go about my business. Now, I want to ask you, if you could get the same exact cell service, same exact plan, and not pay the $50, would you still pay the $50? If you're weird, <laughs> you might. You might still just say, you know, I'm, I'm getting the service. I'm going to pay them for, but most of us would probably say, cell service for free? I'd take that. I would personally, I, I mean, I'm not exempt from this. I would personally take free cell service over having to pay what we pay for cell service. In fact, I got my, my little notification saying that we paid it today. So um, it was more than $50, that's for sure. But the, the reality is that we probably wouldn't. If we could get the same exact service, the same exact plan, but not pay the $50, even though that $50 bill comes in every single month, we would see it, it'd be a constant reminder we knew that we, if we didn't pay the $50, we would still have the exact same thing. And I think sometimes we can treat tithe in a very similar way. Now, I'm assuming, and I'm putting some assumptions on you, but it's because I grew up in church too. So I know that you've probably been taught that tithe, is, tithe in the church is something, it's the set amount, it's 10% of your income. Whatever you get your check in the mail, you get your check, it's 10%. You, you calculate the 10%, and then you give that, and that's where it stops. And what, what it kind of does is it sets us up to pay this bill that's called tithe. Anything beyond that, I know what you've been taught, and, and I've taught it here. Anything beyond tithe is offering. And so anything beyond that 10% is offering. Now, some don't tithe. But they're experiencing the same church service as the ones who do tithe. They're experiencing the same benefits of church in a community of believers coming together. They don't have to tithe. And so it becomes this optional bill for us. Do we pay tithe this month or do we not? It, it just depends on how you view tithe. You see, when we hear tithe, we hear the word required. When we hear offering, we hear optional. But I think if we set up and we have this mindset of that's what giving is, then we set up a culture, uh, a toxic culture in the church saying that we pay the church to do ministry. We pay the pastor 
to do ministry. And that's not what God has called us as the church to do. We're all supposed to be going and doing ministry. We're all supposed to be going out into the world and doing the ministry. We're supposed to expose the church to the world, not try to get the world in here and then expose the church. No, we're supposed to go and reach the people. And so let's take a look on how you can grow your devotion to the Lord through your finances. Because it's not that you aren't generous. Now, I know some of you in here, I don't know what you give, but I know that you're generous because I know your heart. And so for you, for the ones who are generous already with your, with your finances and with your money, some of you are very generous with your time. Some of you are very generous with your talents. But even then, I want you to leave today thinking about, can I improve my devotion to God through my finances? And this is kind of how this series is going to go. Each and every uh, sermon in this series is, can I improve my devotion in this area of my life? Today, we're talking about finances because that's where it was in the plan. Can I grow my devotion to the Lord? And if you can, I encourage you to go home to look at your budget, if you still make one, and say, is there a way that I can improve my devotion to the Lord through my finances? If you look at it and you say you can, I encourage you to do what God is calling you to do. If you can't, keep doing what you're doing because you're, you're in line of where God wants you to be. So what I want today to be focused on is you responding to what God is calling you to do with your money, but also with your time and talents. And what makes this such a sensitive and uncomfortable subject for pastors is that it feels like we're asking for money for the church. That's not what I'm doing. In no way is this sermon, I'm just saying this just to make it clear to you, in no way am I trying to manipulate you to give us more money. In no way am I trying to, to tell you that I want a pay raise so you guys need to start you know, bringing your tithes and offerings because I'm not going to get paid any different. And so it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with your personal relationship and faithfulness and trust in the Lord with your money. So let's take a look into the Bible of what it says about giving. Now I have to go to the Old Testament first because that's where we see this idea of giving first. Tithe, which means tenth. So in the Old Testament where you'd see a tenth of whatever, that's, that's the same word as tithe. And a tenth is primarily used in the Old Testament, refers to the tithe under the law of Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 22, says, Be sure to set aside a tenth, or tithe, of all of your field's produce each year. This tithe was given to the tabernacle. It supported the temple functions, and the tabernacle functions quite literally fed the Levitical priest of the day. Because you would take your crops, if you're a farmer, you took your crops, and you take a tenth of all of your crops, and you bring it to the temple, and that's how the Levites, the, the Levitical priests, would actually eat. They were given food because that's what people gave. And so in Numbers chapter 18, verse 25 through 29, it shows that not only the people of Israel had to give tithe, but the priests had to give tithe too. Numbers 18, 25 through 29, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Levites and say to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a, tithe, a tenth of that tithe as the Lord's offering. 
Your offering will, will be reckoned to you as grain from the threshing floor or juice from the wine press. In this way, you will also present an offering to the Lord. So they, the Levitical priests were also, I'm stopping right here for a second. They're also required to give an offering in extent to the tithe that they were given. But they gave an offering to the Lord from all the tithes that they received from the Israelites. From these tithes, you must give the Lord's portion to Aaron the priest. You must present it as the Lord's portion, the best and holiest part of everything given to you. And so what you would find now in this type of giving situation is that not only were they supposed to give 10%, but that 10% was supposed to be their very best that they produced. And so if you, were, if you worked in a vineyard, you, you gave the 10% of the best grapes that you produced that season, and you give it to the priest. If it was, if it was wheat or, or corn or whatever else, you would... You would take the tenth of the best that you produced and you'd give it. And what this did was set up a, a culture and a mindset for the people of Israel saying that you got to give your best to the Lord first. And then the others, that the rest is for you, but you got to give yourself to the Lord first. And not just some of yourself, but the best of yourself. And because of that, because of passages like that, and there's one in Malachi that's typically used in these type of sermons. I'm not going to bring it up too much, but tr traditionally Christians have given their tithe or a 10% of their income, and they brought their tithe to the storehouse, which led to a lot of different questions. Do I, do I give tithe before or after taxes? We're not going to talk about that. But giving was never meant to stop there. This is just an observation that I've had in churches, and I've had in my own life as well, because I'm just as guilty. Is that when I started working as a janitor in the church that, that dad was pastoring at the time, that was the first like source of income that I was getting in. And from then into really for the majority of my life, up until just a few months ago when I started studying this, it was this thing where I would calculate what my tithe was, and I would do it based on my own formula. I'd do 10%, and I would find that 10%, and it never came out even. And I like, I just, I like even numbers. I'm a little OCD about that, but I also like fives and zeros. I like, the, I like it to end in a five or end in a zero. And so what I would do, and, what, and I think other people are guilty of this too, but, and maybe you're not, maybe you're better than me, I don't care. Anyways, I'm going to tell you my failure so that you can feel better about yourself at least. But I, I, I would give 10%. I would calculate what it was, and I'd round to the nearest five or zero. And I'd say, I gave my 10%, and my offering was 22 cents. But I gave offering, I, I gave my tithe, and I gave offering a whole 22 cents because that's all it took to get to the nearest five or zero, but that's what I gave. That would be my offering. Sometimes it'd be like a dollar fifty, or a dollar fifty-two, or something random. Like I wouldn't even know how much I actually gave. I just know that it was beyond the ten percent. So I gave tithes and offerings. And so when I put it on the little envelope, the little tithing envelope, I say tithes and offerings, right? And I feel really good about myself. But it's because giving to me, tithe to me was a thing that I checked off. I'd say, 
I checked off the, the tie thing. I'm good for this week, for this month, however often I got paid. Right? I'm, I'm good. I've, I've been faithful to the Lord. Now, as a high school kid, I didn't have any expenses. I mean, as an adult now, I do have expenses, so it's a little bit more real for me. But still, it was this thing. I, I would budget it out, 10% of what I expect to make this year. This is what I'm going to give. If it was less than that, I didn't give that much. If it was more than that, then I would adjust, and I'd make sure that I had the 10%. Anything in the rounding, that'd be my offering. And so I'd say that I'm not the only one that's guilty of that at times. But what the New Testament teaches about giving is not that at all. It teaches to give sacrificially without seeking any reward and to give generously. And we see this in Mark chapter 12 in this short story in 41 through 44 of Mark 12. It says, Jesus sat down the opposite of the place where the offerings were putting in and watched the crowd put in their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has more to put in the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put everything, all that she had to live on. And so how I want to put this in perspective, because most of the time, two pennies to us don't mean too much. Two copper coins don't mean too much. And so giving an extra $1,000 when you're a multimillionaire is not sacrificial giving. I hate to break it to you. It's not sacrificial giving. Giving an extra $1,000 as a college student with student loans, that's sacrificial giving. And so it, it, it's sacrificial giving is giving till it starts to hurt and make you uncomfortable about how God is going to, to take care of you through this. Giving should make you uncomfortable at times. Or, a or you should give at least the type of giving where you're giving up something, a luxury for yourself, and instead giving. The widow in the story could have very easily followed what the world would have advised her to do. Save the two coins. Because after all of your expenses, you ended up with two coins. It's not a lot. Save those two coins because next month when you get paid, you'll have two more coins. And then you'll have four. And you start building up your wealth. And then you can invest those coins in the Bitcoin and the whatever. Like this is what the world is teaching us to do. Save, invest, build your wealth, and just keep building your wealth. So that you can buy the things that you want to buy. That you could live a life that's comfortable and for this woman, it was not comfortable to give up the rest of what she had. She went through all of her expenses, got all of her groceries. She had two copper coins left, and she said, this is the Lord's. Because this is all that I have left. So I'm going to give it. You know, I don't know the, the exchange rate. I don't know what these two copper coins might have bought her. But that's not the point of the story. The point is that all these rich people, they're giving and they even hurt. It didn't even phase them. They're just dropping it in. But when I, when I imagine the widow, there's this struggle of this is all I have. If I save this, I might be able to survive next month, but I'm going to drop it in anyways. And I am in no way saying that you can't have nice things. I, I, I'm going to have, have nice things. 
Because there's a lot of things that God has blessed you with because of your financial situation. He's blessed you with it. And so those things, keep them. But there's also things because Satan tries to disguise himself and mimic God. There's also things that, are, that, are, that we buy that is out of pure selfishness. All of us are guilty of that. And so being sacrificial in your giving at times and generous all the time is all about you coming to the Lord and figuring out what he's blessing you with and what you're just being selfish about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 through 7, in the midst of a very severe trial, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth about the church in Macedonia. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify, they gave as much as they were able. Let me repeat that. They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And then by the will of God, by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had made earlier in the beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. And I love verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. See, generous giving is based on what you're led to give in a particular moment. This is New Testament giving. Give what you are led to give. Going back to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I think sometimes we can treat tithe under compulsion. We have to give tithe. It's required. It's everything. Like, you, you give the tithe, and it's under compulsion. It's reluctantly sometimes. That's not what God teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. It says God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, but give what you've decided in your heart to give. There is no set amount. There's no checking it off the list and moving on with your life. The standard of giving is to give what you've decided in your heart to give and to be cheerful and joyful as a giver. And so to stress this point just a little bit more. When you give sacrificially and generously, it is uncomfortable. But also, how can you know where God is wanting you to give, what God is wanting you to do with your finances, if you have that door closed in your house, in your life? If you, like all of us, we all say this. I'm getting ahead of my notes, but I'm not looking at them right now. All of us, I've heard it said several times. We have a song in the hymn that talks about it. It says, we know that God holds tomorrow. We all believe that God knows what's happening next. We all believe that, that even though we only have a few pieces, that he knows the whole puzzle. He's got the whole picture. We, we talk about this as Christians 
But it's funny because so many, and not necessarily you, but so many of us, we trust him in all things except for our finances. And so I wonder how different our life would be, how different this church's life would be if all of us as individuals said, I'm going to seek God in every transaction that I make. When I'm making my budget at the beginning of the year, beginning of the month, I'm going to ask God, I'm going to pray about it, I'm going to see what does God actually want me to give? Where does he want my money to go? Because if he knows tomorrow, if he knows what trials that, and circumstances that you're going to face, he's the only one that can prepare you for that financially. And so save where he calls you to save. Spend where he calls you to spend. Give where he calls you to give. Because I truly believe this, that God, if he truly loves us, which I believe that he does, he will, one, because scripture says that he will take care of us in every single one of our needs. But I also think that if we're so faithful to God and devoted to God in our finances, that he will provide at minimum 10% to give but he will also grow your finances so that in seasons of your life, not every time, not, not all the time, but in seasons of your life, you're able to give more than what you've ever been, give, or been able to give in the past. But it all starts with you looking to yourself and saying, where am I selfish in what I'm giving and what I'm spending? And is God calling me to save that for the next season of my life that I can't see? Or is he calling me to give? To give to other people? To give to the church? There is this famous rapper. I heard this story, and I do not recommend any of his music because of the language. So just up front, if you know who I'm talking about, I am not endorsing any of his music, okay? There's this famous rapper that I heard a while ago. Uh, he was in an interview with 60 Minutes, and he was talking about his success. This is what they were talking about. They were talking about his success. Now, standing right now, his net worth is over $200 million. That's his net worth. And, and in this interview, he's talking to, to the, the interviewer, and it was brought up this particular moment in his life when he was starting to get launched into success. He had already sold millions of records, so he was already a multimillionaire. And he, he walked into a jewelry store, saw a Rolex watch, and called his manager to see if he could afford it. Now, for all of it, I don't, I don't know Rolex watches are expensive. I don't know how expensive because I don't care to have a heart attack and figure out. But I know that they're expensive. And I actually did some research on this rapper and the, the watch that he bought because I, I didn't want to see the other prices. I just wanted to know what he spent. And he, when he purchased it, it was $6,400, which to me, that's a car. But um, to him, that was a watch. And he asked, as a multimillionaire, if he could afford this watch. Now, he bought it because his manager said, yes, you've sold millions of records. You can buy it. Like, you have tons of money that you're not using. But when I heard this story, it surprised me because he was so cautious of how he was spending his money that he asked someone else if he could even afford it. And I wonder, maybe this is a stretch, but I wonder if we were to do that with God, 
to say, I know I've got what I have. I know what I have, what, what you've given me, but I want to give what you want me to give. I want to see if I can afford this luxury or if I need to give instead. And I believe that sometimes God will bless you with luxuries to, to make your life more comfortable and tolerable, but he'll also call you to save, to prepare for the next season, and he'll also call you to give because there's a mission at hand. There's a mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the sake of your faith, I want you to consider giving. Not necessarily right now in this moment, but consider it. Go home. Look at all of your finances and pray, God, where do you want this to take me? What do you want me to spend things on? Do you want me to buy this chocolate bar at the dollar store? Should I buy this new car when mine's broken down? Lord, I'm, I'm outgrowing my house, or my house is too big. Should I move somewhere else? Should I downgrade or upgrade my house? Should I do these things? Lord, I have this opportunity presented in front of me, and it's a big decision. It's a big financial decision. Will you guide me in it? But not just in the big decisions, do it in the small decisions too. Where you go to the dollar store and you look at it. I mean, if you're like me, sometimes I look at what I have in my hands. And I don't need that, but I want it, right? What if we said, God, I know I don't need this, but can I have it? Yeah, can I have it? If he says no, put it back. If he says yes, he blessed you. He's given you a small little blessing. But it's not just for you as individuals. This is a call for us as a church. That if Shady Grove doesn't have a mission and a vision and a direction worth giving towards, then it's my job as the pastor to figure that out and to bring the church back. Because if we don't have this vision, mission, and direction that's worth giving towards, then we've lost sight of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've lost sight that Christ literally lived, died, and rose again for the forgiveness of all of our sins. And if that doesn't excite us to the point to where we wanna have a mission and a vision and a direction that leads us to lead other people to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if that's not a mission worth, worth giving towards, then I don't know what to tell you. But if us as a church aren't working towards that mission, there's no reason for you to give your finances here. Go find another church that is spreading the gospel. But I'm here to tell you today that I'm working as hard as I possibly can to make sure that we are on direction, that we are on vision, that we are on mission that lines up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for the sake of your faith, I leave you with this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Since you, church, you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and love that you've kindled with each other for all of these years, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and for this place to come and worship you. And Lord, as we think about this somewhat sensitive subject, I pray that you've worked in people's heart, that they go home and they figure out what they are actually called to do.
with their finances to see how they can improve in their devotion to you. Maybe it's not necessarily finances, but they realize that they could give 10% of their time towards the mission of the gospel. Maybe it's that they give 10% of their best talents towards the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or maybe it's more than the 10%. We're able to go beyond the 10%, beyond the tithe of our talents, beyond the tithe of our time, beyond the tithe of our finances. Lord, we're just asking right now, as we're about to sing, I surrender all. Lord, may we take this moment to think and to come to you and say, Lord, I don't know where you're going to take me. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I'm so glad that you do and that you're going to prepare me and you're going to supply my needs in every single situation and circumstance that I encounter. No matter how difficult or easy it may be, you will always be there. And so, Lord, we ask you, help us to surrender all to you, just as you surrendered your all to us through your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.